Hey everybody, welcome to Catfish Weekly presented by Whiskerwear Apparel along with Chuck Davidson and Doc Lang. I'm Lyle Stokes and tonight we are going to be discussing the spawn, how it affects you, your fishing pre and post spawn and, and uh, right during the middle of it. Chuck, how's it going tonight, buddy? Well, it's going good. Um, the weather's been very hot down here. The um, the water temps, like bath water. Um, you know, the the spawn for me is, a, you know, kind of like a little vacation. You know, I kind of lay off on the fishing a little bit, maybe hit a couple of tournaments, get my fishing gear ready. But, um, you know, the I, I need to get out and learn how to catch them during this spawn because, you know, it's always been a challenge for me, and I'm, I love the challenges. Absolutely, absolutely. Doc, I know you've been fishing some tournaments. How's it been going over your way? Not bad at all. Uh, spawns just kind of starting around here. Uh, the fish we caught Saturday, they were the one looked like it had gone through a meat grinder. Uh, he was covered f from head to toe. His head was beat up, and his tail—he just—he had uh, open sores all over him. So. Now, when you find fish like that, do you think that they are beginning or during in the middle of spawn, or you think they've already spawned and they're coming off? This one was kind of skinny, and I I think he had just he had come off. That that's that's my opinion too. You know, I I really believe that once you you start catching those fish that are all beat up and they've they've lost their body weight, they got big old heads and skinny old bodies. They've been doing that yeah. for a couple of weeks. And, and they're done, uh, yeah. you know, with what they're doing. Now, uh, something that, that I always believe in and is that not all of these fish spawn at the same time. I, right. I, you know, I think, I, I think it's like a month period or six-week period, even possibly depending on weather conditions. But they'll come in, and then during the middle of that time frame, whether it be four weeks or six weeks or how much ever it is, I believe during the middle of it is when the majority of the fish probably are spawning, and this is all determined by water temperature, uh, and then the, the ones that are late to go in, they'll go in after that, but uh, you can still catch fish when the spawn's on because, they, like I say, they don't all spawn at the same time, but I, I do think the majority of them will be in the middle of, of whatever time frame it takes. Now, uh, I know our water temperature... Uh, two weeks ago, let's see, no, last weekend, it was 78 degrees. So um, my understanding has always been that between 70 and 75 degrees is when the spawn starts. When it gets close to 75 and 80 degrees, they should be nearing the end of the spawn. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, up here, the generally... Well, the channel cats starts. I noticed the channel cats were starting to spawn a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, they got the blowed up heads, or nodules are all blowed out of proportion, and uh, but they they were still they were still biting. Uh, and then this past weekend, the water temperature was at seventy. I saw seventy eight seven on the Ohio. Um, all the fish that we had, they were all beat up, banged up. Uh, we had big fish for the tournament. It was a 22-pounder, and when I first looked at the fish, I told Daniel, I said, that's at least a 30, and then after I looked at his body and how skinny he was and how long he was, you know, I told him, well, it was a 30 until the spawn. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we got to the scales, I really got a good look at him. Yeah, he was he was really thinned out real bad. Right. So, right. and we only we only seen a couple of flatheads, but what flatheads we saw, uh, they were juveniles, uh, 10, 12 pounders, but they were they were beat up, banged up, tails were all, uh, you know, afraid how they they get those tails in there and start working them nests out with their tails, and they they get all them cuts and. Uh, they thin out their tails. Uh, that's what I saw on the juveniles. I was a little bit surprised seeing the, those fish there. I didn't think would even try to spawn, but evidently they do. Well, you think those are getting beat up by the bigger males? No, the the ones that I saw looked like that they were trying to nest down. You know, anytime you see that tail that's all ripped up and, you know, it, instead of being you know, flat like a shovel, it's got all them cuts in it where they're taking that tail and getting it back in them holes and trying to dig out a nest for a female, uh, generally, you know, and then they're using their heads to, you know, move stuff around and they'll have them big sores on the bottom side and up on top, you know, And but I, I know the I saw the one flathead one of the guys brought in and, and it was... It, it was an active bleeder on the head, so and he kept it in the live well that whole time. But he said he couldn't get it to stop bleeding, but it didn't seem bothering. The fish was thrashing around everywhere in the live in the live basket. You know that that brings a point. We we have a sponsor, uh, Fish Life, that has a product that is specifically made to put on those sores and and bleeding fish from being cooked or different things. That's a prime place to to use that. If you get a fish caught uh, and it's bleeding like that and you're going to release that fish, uh, use this product. It's a great product as with everything that Fish Life has. So uh, those kind of deals like that is, is a perfect time to use that, that product and, and try to help that fish maintain as much of its body that, as you can. So, uh, you know, uh, anybody that wants to do that can contact those folks and they'll set you up with some stuff. Chuck, is is the spawn full tilt down your way, or is it on its last leg going out? Well, I think everything went in very early this year, and you know the same as last year. Um, yeah, I think it's it's on its downhill run right now. Um, you know, by the first of July, we ought to be catching some really good fish again. Yeah, that's you know usually um, we start catching uh, channel cats and blues. First, of course, uh, in our area, channel cats go on first, then the blues, and then the flatheads later. And as a general rule, and this is not always true, but it's pretty close, Fourth uh, of July weekend is usually the time when the flatheads start coming off in our area. And by then, we're already catching blues uh, and have been catching uh, channel cat. But now, that's that's just a general rule. It, it's not hard and true and uh, there's years when it's a week or so after that, and some some years it's a little bit uh, earlier than that. But as a general rule, you can just about figure you're going to start catching some good flatheads uh, the Fourth of July weekend, and and uh, I, I hope that's correct. We've got a couple of tournaments coming up that we're going to try to make, and and uh, you know uh, I want those fish to be to be biting, especially the blues in our area. Blues is what wins tournaments, unless you're in. Uh, 
above the Keokuk Dam on the Mississippi River, and, and then it's Channel Cat or Flatheads, but uh, them are, man, them Channel Cat tournaments up there are some fun deals. I enjoy them as much as anything because a lot of action, and they got some quality fish up that way. Yeah. Um, Chuck, what what kind of, on the lake, you, you predominantly fish down there in, in uh, rivers that are made into lakes or in lakes. Uh, what kind of uh, areas do you fish when you're fishing the spawn? Uh, you know, I head up, um, you know, pretty close, not right up to the dams. Um, I fish, you know, very skinny water and, uh, you know, tributaries um, mostly. Um, you know, the where tributary openings where they come out into the lake, uh, you know, places like that where, you know, we was talking earlier about downsizing baits. I've I've never had any luck at all up until, I mean, even on into July, you know, big baits hardly ever work for me. Um, you know, I, I still use them, still don't catch no fish. I, I, it's hard for me to downsize and, and use small thumb-sized baits. But, you know, but when I do, I do catch fish. But I'm, most of the time I'm after the, the one, which I would probably get her if I if I did downsize, but, um, you know, we fish, you know, up around, you know, <coughs> it seems to me, you know, when they, when they go up the tributaries or, uh, up toward the dam, you know, as go as far as they can, uh, you know, and turn around and find their, uh, spawning grounds. Um, even, even after they come off of bed, after they lay their eggs and, and they quit fanning or whatever their duty was, um, I think it still takes a lot of time for them to get their energy back, get their appetites back and all that. Um, you know, so I, I, I kind of stay around those type of areas, and I, I try to stay out of the lakes. If I do go up into the lake, I try to find some areas where, you know, there is the catfish would want to go up into and spawn um, and, and just stay on those areas. That's that's good advice right there. It's solid advice. Doc, do, do you uh, do you have certain areas that you target when you're fishing during the spawn? Uh, generally, I stay try to stay on the ledges. Um, we were we were working 20 foot of water, which is really shallow for me to work this past weekend. But uh, I learned a few things, and uh, one of the things I noticed was my electronics weren't showing a lot of bait in the water but all the bait was on top and what we saw was uh, we actually saw the bait uh, you know pooling around the boat and stuff like that even though I wasn't marking it you know we're looking around and you can see the little dimples on the on the river the wind hadn't even kicked up yet so and the bait that we were seeing was about it was about three, four-inch shad, and uh, the fish were underneath of them working. But uh, the bigger fish were down. You know, it, they were. I, from what I could figure out, the juveniles were pushing the bait to the surface, and then they were ripping it through it. And then the bigger fish were laying down underneath. I'm assuming just you know, taking up the scraps, but. Uh, the one thing that we went and done, and it kills me to do it, and that's the downsize. Just like uh, 
Chuck says it, it, it's one of the hardest things. I like running big heads. You know, I had a I had a big head on. I had an an eight inch live shad out the back, and the fish. And then I had one piece that had about a thumbnail size <laughs> piece of bait on it. The hook the hook was bigger than the bait, but it found an eleven pounder. I mean, he he just ripped that rod down, and I, you know, we're we're sitting there drifting along, and nothing more exciting mm -hmm. than hear one of them black horses do that whoosh, and the tips are in the water, and they're they're going to town with it. So, but uh, we picked up our first fish right at eight thirty, and the and the tournament started at eight o'clock. So that's pretty quick. Yeah, that was real quick. I thought we were going to have a good day of it, and and then the, but the wind started. Uh, the wind started in, and that didn't bother me too much. But then the boat traffic started in, and you know, then then the boat traffic just starts scattering fish everywhere. Not so much a fish, but it pushes the bait fish out to the point where the fish start moving away from the stuff too. Uh, I agree with that. When that the, the boat traffic and sea do traffic gets uh, uh, really busy. Uh, if you're sitting on an area that's loaded up with bait fish and, and the catfish are down underneath of it, either going up and grabbing a piece of snack every once in a while or they're just sitting there watching them, waiting until they decide they want to eat them, uh, when that boat traffic comes through a place like that and those shad or skipjack or whatever they are, they they blow them out of that area, well, them, them fish, they go where the, the bait goes, so... Then you got to refine them. Instead of finding four or five or how many ever's in that that group of, of fish, you'll find one or here, one there, maybe two here. Instead of finding a, a group of them that you can work and catch two or three right quick, so uh, you know it does affect it. And, and uh, like I say, I to my opinion is sea dews are affect that as much as anything if the fish or the bait fish are close to the surface of the water. Yeah, they, uh, you know, and the other thing is. You know, it's not normal to see a, you know, you're in waves, you're rocking back and forth, and it's not normal to see a bait go up two feet, down three, where the boat's right. sitting rocking back and forth. You know, That's exactly it's right. Not, it's not normal for them to see it. So they may come up and peck on a bait, but then they'll just pull away from it because it's not normal. It's not natural for them to see a, a, a bait or a fish to do that. That's right. I agree. Yeah, and and all those waves and different things. Now there is times when I think that does trigger bites, but oh, yeah. uh, in the in the tough times, like during the spawn, I consider that the toughest time of the year to catch fish. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it, anything abnormal affects their uh, willingness to take a bait. Yeah. Uh, in our area, I I try to find the 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 fish that are spawning, you know, they'll be in the revetments, it goes up and down like this, you can find a spot like that, they'll be fishing, they're spawning, they'll, they'll be in, in deep crack areas where there's a, a, a spot where it's really low and the fish are going there to lay down inside there and approach a spot like a, a hole up in the side of that, and sometimes you can mark them, sometimes you can't, but if you find that type of structure, uh, I usually try to target that. A lot of low spots where, where them fish will go in there, the edges of, of deep banks on the outer outer side of a bank, I'll work that really hard uh, and and 
it's got to be quality fresh bait. They're not going to yeah. come out of away from their their spot where they got them eggs for any reason, unless it's something that they either want, have to have something to eat or feel like they have to have something to eat, or something that they feel like is detrimental to their area, and they're just going to run out there and kill it right quick and let it go. And, and either way, I'll take that bite. But you know, you've got to you you ain't going to take a an old piece of bait that been laying in the, the bottom of your boat for three or four hours and the sun's baked, you're not going to catch that and catch any fish that's on the nest. You're just not going to do it. Or at least I can't do it. It's got to be good quality stuff and and usually shad or skipjack, something like that. Cut bluegill, live bluegill. Uh, and I, I, a lot of times if I have live shad or live bluegill, uh, I'll take a knife and cut the side or the tail of them or something, make them bleed. To, uh, you know, anything to... to to attract a, a fish because they have to either be enticed or, like I say, you have to get it close enough to them that they think it's going to bother that that nest and they're going to go out there just to kill it and get it out of the way. Yeah, moon eyes are real good right now too because that water temperature is up real close to 80 degrees. That oil coming off that flesh, you know, moon eyes don't hardly bleed at all. Uh, you know, I, I don't. You know, I've always I've cut a bunch of moon eyes and there's just no blood there. You know, I, I swear, I think they got oil pumping through their veins. <laughs> not, not blood, but man, when you, you know, up here, when you drop them over the side, there's a big old ring, oil ring blows right off that bait when you drop it in the water. Yep. That, so. That's a that's a quality bait. Uh, for me, uh, it's easier to obtain and easier and better to use uh during from like say now until late fall. Yeah, I want the water hot. Moon eye. Yeah. In my, my personal experience, moon eye is a number one bait when that water is eighty or above. Right. It'll out. It'll it'll outfish skipjack five to one. I I agree, and a lot of times you can't. I can't find it in our area. Uh, sometimes you can, but a lot of times it's just not available to me, and that's when I right. go with skipjack. And um, uh, Asian carp. Now, a lot of people don't believe you can catch that on Asian carp. I know a lot of guys that do, a lot of guys that use it. Asian carp is has became a natural food source for everything in the Mississippi River system. And that includes oh, yeah. any river or creek that flows into the Mississippi River has been infested with them. And the only, pro only true predator that will do any damage to the population of them is catfish. The, the only thing about that is they grow so fast that it doesn't take terribly long to where they're out of the size where most of the catfish can't handle them. But they do uh, they do work uh, and like John Norrig just wrote, wrote to us on the chat and said the hotter it is the better and I agree with that. I usually go out and uh, when when we make a bait run for Asian carp we take a boat with no carpet in it like an old John boat or something uh, that's the best thing to use because you got to get that crap out of your boat and try to get five or six or ten of them in your boat flay the sides off of them throw the rest of them out for turtle bait uh, pour the fish up dump the juice in the bag put your two sides in that bag Stip it in the water, take a Ziploc bag, put that whole thing in the water till it gets to the top, zip it up there. It's almost like a vacuum seal. Throw it in your cooler 
and do each one individual like that, and you can either chunk it up into chunks or slivers or sides or whatever, use as much or as little as you want to do, and that juice and blood and guts and stuff, all that sitting in there, and it just sits in there the whole time. And uh, like I say, the hotter it is, the better it works for me. And, and I'm going to tell you guys something. Uh, you don't have to use it. You don't have to try it. doesn't make any difference. But that Asian carp has the toughest skin when you put a hook through it on your hook, they might peel the meat off that skin, but they're not going to get that skin off that hook. I, you nearly have to cut it off. It's the toughest skin of any fish I've ever dealt with in fresh water. Hmm. Are they scales? Just, uh, I can't remember. No, they got they scales have, on them. They got scales on them? Okay. Yeah, they're big scales, can't too. Remember. Yeah, they're big yeah. scales. They're the big only scales. time I... I you know, I had one hit me in the back. Mm -hmm. I had about a thirty pounder jumped out of the water, and that's a <laughs> the one year I went up to uh, Alton, Illinois. It's the first year I went up there. You know, we were hunting around for bait, and we were mainly hunting for shad. And I asked one of the locals uh, if he, you know, where's the shad at? And he goes, Oh, all you got to do is go behind any barge. He said, You see them little dimples right there? He said. Uh, just throw it on there, and he said, you'll have a net full of shad. I said, okay. So, buddy, I mean, we launched the boat. Me and Randy were really excited. You know, we pulled up to a barge, and, man, there's them dimples around there. And I told Randy, I said, okay, get, go ahead and let it go. Just just seconds before he let that net go, a 30-pound Asian blew out of the water, hit me in the back. And I turned around about that time Randy let go of that net, and there must have been a hundred of them right there. Them little dimples were not shad. I bet that I bet that guy was sitting there on the bank, just sitting there laughing. He said, "I bet them old northern boys just said are going to learn a little lesson here." So yeah, we when we got done, my twenty-four foot uh, pro cat, I had at least fifteen of them agents sitting on the front deck. So. <laughs> and you know, as soon as they hit the deck, it looks like they've cut an artery. They bleed yeah. everywhere, and then they stink. Oh, my oh, goodness. You can't get that have, off of there quick enough. They have the, the gut-wrenchingest smell to them. Oh. Uh, and, and they're not so bad after you side them off and stuff, but the, the odor them things have, and, and anything yeah. they touch... They either put a terrible slime coat on that's like nothing else I've ever seen, or they bleed on it. And and yeah. uh, they're just disgusting creatures, but they work for good for bait. And I know a lot of people that eat a ton of them. Said it's great, great table fare, and they're all white meat. You, if you get the bones out of them, you have to take the white bones out of like uh, a lot of other kind of fish, you know, walleye and stuff like that. But uh, and and the bones are big. It's not hard to get them out of there, but I, I have a brother-in-law that takes them and has them smoked. He fries them, and uh, uh, he says they are great table fare. He eats them quite frequently, and uh, I personally have it. I keep looking at them things, and their eyes are on the bottom of their head where they're not supposed yeah. to be, and that <laughs> exactly. is that's, that's a turn off for me, you know. Yeah. This is a weird fish. I, no, 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 yeah, no. they are, but I will use them for bait. I sure yeah. will, yeah. John. John Nordyke left that message. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, something that I've always wanted to try, and the reason I have never tried it is uh, the Missouri law is if it comes in your boat, you're not allowed. You're supposed to kill it before you throw it back. 
and, and I know that happens a lot, but some people don't have the the desire to, to kill them. They just throw them out, and I understand that. I really do. Uh, usually, if I unless I'm in a tournament, if I if I'm in a tournament, uh, I don't take time to, to flay them out because I've already got my bait most of the time, and and I don't want to mess with. Uh, screwing with a, a fish like there, I want to get my bait back in the water. Uh, John says they're good at math too, <laughs> but you can take those things and, and throw them in a live well that's empty of water and leave them in there to quit flopping. And that's that's what I usually do. And then I go in there and try to get the uh, uh, the sides off of them, do it like that. But what it's something I always wanted to try was one of those live uh, drifted, uh, and, and we're not supposed to have them live in your boat at all. And I don't know, uh, I, I never have tried it because of, of the laws and stuff, but I believe that if if you had one of those hooked up correctly and you was drifted in an area where there wasn't a bunch of those big heads uh, and you had a bunch of, uh, you know, just on a drift down the river channel or on a ledge or something, I think that, that it would, would work really well. Uh, but man, I just can't make myself do that because it is against the law. And if you happen to be in a tournament and you would get caught, you'd be disqualified, and it's just not worth it to me uh, to take that kind of risk. Yeah. Now, is that good bait for the spawn? I mean, does anybody know? I, I don't know. Uh, anytime the water temperature gets 75, 80 degrees, and I got it, I'm using it. You know. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I would assume that it would be as good as anything right now. Um, in our area, from what I'm seeing personally, now this is not, not have anything to do with what anybody else says, but what I'm seeing now is we have a, a time of the year when fish, uh, catfish usually are biting mainly on shad or shad right. parts, you know. And, and then as, as the water temperature warms up and you get later in, in the season, uh, they switch over to... Uh, moon eye and gold eye and, and uh, skipjack and stuff like that and shad will still work but not as well as, as the herring family. Now it's similar for me uh, with with the Asian carp but when, when the shad bite slows down and the herring family bite speeds up that's when the Asian carp bite seems to and, and anytime from 75 80 degree water temperature up uh, it's it's very good quality bait. Like I say, it stays on the hook extremely well. Uh, but you know, it's it's like anything else. You know, uh, anything that'll eat cut bait like uh, turtles or or uh, gar or anything like that, they'll hit it too. It's it's not foolproof, but it does work really good for blue catfish and uh, occasionally flatheads too. Uh, yeah. I've, I've never caught a channel cat on it, and I don't know if it's because I never used the spawn up bait or whether the fact that uh, they grow so fast channel cat never really get a chance to, I don't know. But I've never, I don't ever remember catching a channel cat on, on cut Asian carp. <clears throat> John says they won't stay deep drifting unless you really wait, wait them down. <laughs> He's tried. <laughs> Yeah, man. I think John's out fishing tonight and, and uh, watching the show on his uh, laptop or tablet or something. Chuck, you're extremely lucky. You don't have the Asian carp infestation in your area. Yeah, there's uh, reports that they've seen some in the Tennessee River area, uh, mostly around Pickwick uh, and up toward Kentucky Lake. So 
I guess they're finding their way down. Well, um, if they get there, you'll know it. Yeah. Yeah, it don't take too long. But yeah, just run in any shallow area. Yeah. They'll light, they'll light you up. Now, do you guys... Go ahead. Go ahead, Lyle. Well, do you guys have a, wing, a lot of wing dikes in your areas uh, on the Ohio River and down in, in that Tennessee River area? No. Neither one of you. Mm -hmm. No, we're, well, we're too, too damned up. Okay. Uh, well, behind any wing dike on the Missouri or Mississippi, and, and I don't mean any of them, but a high percentage of them, you can take your boat and, and it gets shallow behind a lot of those, and there's always a deep hole. Uh, and a lot of these have blow holes in them between the, the wing dike and the bank where it's blowed out. Uh, some of them are man-created. Some of them are just blowed out from flooding. But in that shallow water behind them dikes, if you can't get an Asian carp, if you hit two or three of them and you don't get an Asian carp, there's, there's something wrong because usually they're loaded up behind them wing dikes. Yeah, the only time I've seen wing dikes is below Smithland uh, Dam, Lock and Dam, which is down, you know, down by... Paducah, and there's only a few of them down there. And the closer you get to the uh, Mississippi River, you'll see a few more. But else, you know, there's no up in my area up in here. There's no wing dikes or anything like that. No, we don't have enough current to uh, to have to you know manufacture anything like that to slow slow the current down. Right, right. Well, that, that's uh, you know there. A lot of people worry about wing dikes. I don't, I've been around them my whole life, so they really uh, they don't really bother me too much. If you're paying attention, you're all right. Uh, they are a great structure to fish. One of the one of my favorite places to fish. And now I wouldn't do this during a spawn, but uh, off of the tip of those wing dikes, there's always a scour hole, and it's a you know it's usually pretty big around, and it's really deep where that water comes out off there, and it just grinds into the bottom of the of the river. And it makes a scour hole, and then it comes up gradually on the back side of it. One of my favorite places to fish is if you find a, a, a dike. And, it, and fish are not always on the same dike. You know, they're not on every dike. And, and they may be on this dike today and another one tomorrow. But if you find that spot where they're down in that scour hole, most of the time they'll either be coming up to catch that bait as, it, as the water goes through that scour hole, and you can set it right at the edge of it and just walk it down to the bottom. And if you're very good at it, you can walk it up part of the way up the other side or just cast over to the other side and try to pull it back down uh, into them. And a lot of times you can catch those fishes as they're going up and down that out of that hole. And, and uh, I like doing that. That's a lot of fun. And if they're biting you, you can really lay out some good fish quick. Uh, uh, big pieces of bait. Uh, whole shad with the tail cut off of them or live shad, uh, big chunks of skipjack ahead and a body about that big, uh, cut the tail off of them. I call them cutters or six, eight inch skipjack. Just whack the tail off of them, use the whole thing. That's one. I, my favorite size uh, skippies to use. Uh, I like them real well. But, uh, you know, those scour holes are a great place. And a lot of times uh, you can go out to the edge of them wing dikes on the seam uh, on the channel ledge where they're just running in and out of that hole when you can catch them there too. But wing dikes are a great structure to use. There's always got in front of them and behind them there's always trees and rocks and all kinds of stuff. So it's like place to try to catch fish. Everything there you need. I mean you got uh you they know, really you are. 
got the current brake. You got you got the uh, the, the Skyra hole. Um, you know everything's there to hold bait, and that's that's all you need to you know get some good trophy catfish is a uh, good bait. They're in there feeding. So one of my favorite things to do if we because I haven't done it in a long time because I just don't like to clean fish that well. But if I'm going out after eating fish, I'll find. Uh, I'll take the boat and, and my bird, and we'll go up in front of a wing dike, and, and you use that side scan. You can mark those channel cats, and they'll be up there picking up them crawdads and different things on the front side of that where there's not a lot of current. And it's just a little trough at, at the bottom of that, like a ledge or anywhere else, and then fish will feed back and forth across that. You can go in there and, and uh, uh, fish that and, and catch you some one to six pound channel cat and and to me that's the greatest catfish to eat there is and uh, I just love doing that now once in a while you'll get a blue or a flathead that's in there trying to catch some channel cat but uh, for the most part that you can catch a lot of channel cat and good eating fish that way uh, John wants to know if you guys double hook your big baits I do I do I, yeah. I figured you probably both did yeah yeah. Now, now, what do you call a big bait, Chuck? Uh, the uh, you know, make sure I put two in it. Uh, lengthwise, um, you know, I make sure I got that stinger hook down there in case they, you know, short bite. Um, uh, I'm I'm changing stuff up a little bit um, on where I've been hooking them. Um, the last couple times I went out, I've Got a lot better hookup ratio um, where I'm hooking them at. Now, you we didn't you broke up. And we didn't hear what size bait you was using double hook rigs on. Uh, if if it's you know bigger than my hand, uh, usually you know I, I'll I'll use two hooks. Uh, mo most of the time, I've always I've got a double hook rig already rigged up on on. Uh, at least 75% of my rods if I'm not dragging. Um, if I'm dragging, I just use one hook. Yeah. If, I'm, if I'm vertical uh, drifting, um, you know, I'll double hook rig. Well, I, I know, Doc, you, you use two hook rigs. I and mean, what, what's, what yeah. do you consider a big bait, big enough to, what, that you should be using two hooks on? Uh, any, you know, anything that's bigger in my hand. My favorite, a lot of times I'll use 17, 18 inch skipjack, cut the tail off, uh, put the hook, first hook I'll put in through the eye and out the top of the skull. The second hook is all the way to the back. And generally, I try to lay it in parallel with the body and bring it out the other side, not bringing it up through the backbone, but running it underneath the backbone and bringing the hook out on the other side of that fish. Generally those fish will come, they'll hit them in the head generally, but I have had some blues, the, actually I've had some larger blues that want to come on the back side and grab that fish from the rear, or they'll come up underneath of them and try to take out the, the uh, belly section of the skipjack. You just pinch it off, you mean? Yeah, yeah, that, and the, you know that you know a blue's done that because he's got the he's the only one that's got the jaw power to be able to grab a hold of something and just you know tear it off. 
Right. And a lot of times uh, you'll see those takedowns where the, the rod will be down in the water and they'll be just going to town with a drag just screaming. And you get there and then all of a sudden a rod just pops up. And then you, you bring it up and, and like the whole belly section's gone. So then what I'll do then, then I'll move that hook down to that area. You know, I'll just, I'll just loop it in there, just, you know, not trying to just, just loop it right in there. So. Yeah. I, you know, I wonder on a, on a case like that, I, I'm not sure I've ever had that happen. I may have and don't remember it, but um, it would that be one of the times that, that if you get that happening two or three times that you would consider cutting that gut pocket completely out of that bait? Yeah, and then I'll go to that, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't, you know, I used to try running those, uh, <laughs> you know, I like to chunk my bait up real big leave that gut pocket in there, but it seems to create a lot of problems. I remember hearing uh, Steve Douglas talk about it, that bait wants to spin, and you don't want that bait spinning, you know, so, but, you know, most of that blood, even though you got that nice gut pocket, you know, them little fiddler cats will come up there, and they'll just start beating the tar out of that bait. And you know, just, they're they're doing you a favor because they're just chumming the water all around. But uh, the one thing I do notice is, is if I take that skipjack and I trim out that belly portion and then chunk up that bait right there. That if you look at the bait, all the blood is right there in that spine area. You'll see that red, deep, dark uh, spine that runs down through there. And there's a there's a lot of bait in there's a lot of blood in that spine area, so you can you know just lower that bait down and it leaves a pretty good trail. And it, it takes is. a while, especially in hot water, it takes a little bit longer for that to bleed out of that spine than it does or any other part of the fish, you know, except for the head. You you got the lung and you got all that stuff up in there, but sometimes they they just don't want to mess with that. Head and and one of the problems that I've seen, especially now, I re, I was running ahead this uh, past weekend, and them little guys were coming up there and banging that head, and ju just were literally eating it out. Mm -hmm. They were eating wow. the head, uh, all the guts right out, and <laughs> you bring the head up, and you'd see ribs hanging off of it. Hmm. So. That's that's pretty amazing right there. John wants to know if we ever threaded hooks on, and I'm not sure what he means, but uh, I have cut strips out of the sides of bait and threaded it on uh, different ways and used that, if that's what you mean. Jerry Dillard says you ever use three hooks on an 18-inch bait. I personally haven't. Uh, these guys can comment on that in just a second. Uh, one of the reasons that I don't, and, and you need to check on your state regulations, um, in Missouri there's a certain amount of hooks you can use on each pole, and uh, I'm not sure what that is, but uh, twos is most as I've ever used. I think what John might mean is, uh, you know how when the, the black bass guys use a buzz bait and they'll take that trailer hook, and they'll take the eye of that hook and they'll just thread it on the hook and make their stinger hook hang off the other hook. But you got to have a hook okay. that's got a big eye on it. Uh, yeah. yeah, you can do that. But 
you know the reason why I never use three hooks, especially when I'm when I'm using a double hook rig, and, and I'm using that, uh, you know, my my trailer hook is, you know, ten inches down. Um, you know, I've actually had those when when they when they hit that head. Uh, a lot of times that that trailer hook uh, float and they'll swallow it because that's not the hook that they're caught with. Um, so I'm I'm really skeptical about using any more than two, um, you know, because you know I've had to I've had to cut them off before. There's no way you know you can't you can't even see the hook. They'll just swallow it. Um, you know you, you'll go to pull that hook out. You don't see the other one, and you see you see that tag end going right down his throat. So you know you just gotta reach down there and, and cut it off as far down as you can. Um, you know, so I, I don't see me ever trying more than two. Yeah, I I only use two. I don't use three because the third hook always finds either the meaty portion of my hand, my wrist, or one of my <laughs> fingers. That's what it always hooks up. It never hooks up a it never hooks up a fish. It always hooks me up. And it gets and, so. the, and you know three hooks always get tangled up in a net so bad. Uh, you know, you can't. You, it takes you forever to get the fish out of the net and, and get him back in the water or in the live well or whatever, because there's so much stuff caught up in the net. Uh, you just can't do anything. Yeah, and that's generally when it finds my hand. <laughs> so at that, you got that right, Chuck. Right there. That's when it always catches me. <laughs> oh man, uh, John says he met with a bait needle, and I assume that he's talking about bridling the oh, bait. Oh, okay, yeah, I got yeah. you. Yeah, we—that's like you know pre-fishing. Um, you know, we'll we'll use the uh, bait needle. Um, the last couple times we went out pre-fishing, that was a blast. Um, you know, th threading them on without a hook and um, watching them blues just pull them uh, rod tip on water. Makes you want to put a hook on. It does bad. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it, it was a lot of fun, but you, you want to put a hook on there to see what's down there because we we had them uh, peel and drag with no hook, and it was just unbelievable. We we had a great yeah. time. They're inhaling the bait when they're doing that. Oh yeah, it's that's great. exactly right. But they, not, you know, but I know I'm, guys that on tournament day they're not doing that though. No. <laughs> No, that's I know. I know guys that use safety pins, and they'll put safety pins on their hook, and they'll safety pin bait to you know through there so that the fish can actually just take it. And, and I'm, you know, I have personally not done that, but I've been told by the guys that do that they'll take that thing and they get that safety pin in their mouth with that bait, and they'll pull it down just like they're hooked and take off with it. And and uh, until the the bait comes off of that pin, uh, it, it's just like you you got a fish on. I mean, it's on. Yeah. Uh, and if it if it was a hook instead of a safety pin, you'd be fighting that fish all the way into the boat where with the safety pin it comes on. But it doesn't bother those fish. Their their thinking is tournament day. That fish is not worried about whatever bait coming down through there because it hasn't been hooked. Uh, you know, so. Now what I do is I, I'll have a big chunk of bait on and I'll bring the hook through and then I bring the hook up and put it into the swivel. Just thread it right into the swivel. So then you got the bait hanging down. 
but I have I've had fish that I could have netted because them guys will <laughs> hang on to that. They will hang on to that bait, and you bring them up, and and you're looking eye to eye at them, and then they open their mouths and just you know kind of you see them fade away from the into the depths. So, and then I can't find That's them the next cool. day. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I, my theory is if you've scared them off, regardless of how you've done it, they're probably not going to do anything. But I honestly, I, I really, I still don't believe that, that catching them and releasing them has any more to do with it than anything else. Because like I told you guys before, we've caught fish and put them in a live well that we had shad, live shad in, and go to get a piece of bait, and they've ate every stick of it in yeah. there. Ain't nothing left, you know. Yeah. So... <laughs> That that doesn't stop them from eating. It may stop them from biting on tournament day, but it is not going to stop them from eating. Uh, well, no, you they're, know, they're eating machines. So. Yeah, what <laughs> they are. That's that's one good thing I learned from uh, Jason Mathia was you know the the confirmation part. Um, you know, you can you know when you go off uh, pre fishing, um, you know you you need to drop a bait down there if they take that bait. Um, you can tell if it's a catfish or not by the way they pull it down. Uh, you, then you know for sure that that is catfish down there. You just don't want to mark a bunch of fish and you mark that spot, and then tournament day you haul butt and, and you and you get to that spot and you're sitting on a bunch of carp or gar. Um, you know a lot of people can tell the difference. You know using their 2D on what's down there, but you know by by dropping some bait down there without a hook. And, and just confirming that they are taking the bait and it is catfish on tournament day, you know, you feel much better knowing that you know that they're in the area and that, that it is catfish. I agree. I agree. You know, my biggest fear, and I've seen Brent Riddle do this a number of times, you know, and he'll, Brent's really cool about posting pictures when he's pre fishing. And, and I've seen him do it three or four times, and he'll catch a giant fish pre-fishing that <laughs> tournament. And day of tournament, he may catch some good fish too, but it seems like the day or two before tournament, Brent's always putting some real quality fish in the boat, and then, uh, you know, he may or may not score on them or something like that during that. But, you know, uh, my theory about that is if you – find, say, a wing dike that, that the fish are, are biting on, or you find a ledge that they're biting on, it's in 25 foot of water, or it's on a bend. Whatever it is that you find those fish on and they're biting, the next place I stop, I'm looking for a place just as close to that as I can find. Mm -hmm. If they're on a wing dike, I'm looking for a wing dike that's holding fish. If they're on a ledge, I'm looking for a ledge. If it's in that bend, I'm going to be in them bends looking for that same setup on 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 that and and see uh, if that's the the way that they're doing it. Usually, if they're biting on a on a certain uh, type of structure, then they'll do that in different areas. But you know, not always. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, Brent. You know, he's. Most of the time, when he catches those, you know, 70s and 80s the day before the tournament or two days before the tournament, you know, he's drove six or eight hours to go to these places, and he's going to fish. Right. You know, and I do the same thing. It ain't like, you know, you're, you're at your, uh, you know, your home lake. That's a different story. 
you know, Brent, he's going to fish. He going If he goes to Wheeler for seven days, he's going to use hook seven days. <laughs> I think you're right, and I don't blame him. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of times we don't do that. A lot of times we fish with the electronics and don't bait water, but uh, that's really not fair to either one of us in the boat simply because we spent all that money and spent all that time, and once you find them, you should try to catch a couple. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're at Wheeler or, you know, the Missouri River, um, you know, one, the you know, the best fisheries in the United States. Um, you know, you're not just going to ride around and look at your electronics all day. <laughs> no way. I've done that. <laughs> I have. Uh, I, I mean, I, well, I did it's hard to do. I got to leave the pole in the motel room. <laughs> the I mean, John Nordyke. John Nordyke says to ask him about his 105 the day before the tournament. I know it was a couple of days before that tournament. He put that 105 in down there uh, right before the the Wheeler Winter Blues on Wheeler tournament two years ago, and and uh, I, he done really good in that tournament, but he didn't get no 105 that day. No, he didn't. But that that's no. a that's a fish of a lifetime right there, though. Um, Absolutely. I mean, when it you know for some reason, Monsters of the Ohio is totally different. Um, it, it's such a competitive atmosphere. Um, you know, the pre-fishing is just like any other that I've ever you know been through. It's totally different. You know, you may want to go out and you know catch some fish, but um, you know, going out and finding the fish, doing doing a little bit of confirmation and getting out of there. Uh, that's that's about how I've got to do it on the Ohio River. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm, that's the type of fishery I don't see myself going somewhere and, you know, fishing the, you know, the day two days before the tournament, the day before the tournament, and, you know, if I find fish, I'm gonna confirm it's them and I'm out of there. I hope nobody sees me leave and knows where I was at. <laughs> that's exactly right. I mean that that's how bad you know. You know, coming in the first year with 22 and the second year with 56, um, you know, it, it, that's the type of place where, you know, when you find fish, you're going to save every ounce you got for tournament day and, and you know, try to hold on to those spots. There's so many boats uh, hitting that water, um, and you don't know if somebody's already marked the same spot, you know. Right. You know, you, like the first year I was there, the first three spots I got to that me and Leanne was planning on fishing, um, one of the boats that about blew us out of the water, they were already sitting there when we got there. All three yeah. spots. You um, know, had a GPS tracker on you. No, it's just, you know, that they're, they're just spots that you, you can look um, at, at Google Earth or, you know, just common sense tells you Hey, this is an awesome spot. And then, you know, you got that morning bite that everybody's wanting to get to a spot and try to get get some fish in the boat while while that morning bite's going on. Um, you know, the ones that aren't locking through. So they're they're gonna hurry. They're gonna get to a spot. They're gonna get their they're gonna get their bait in the water. And um, I, that's exactly what them guys were doing. Most of them spots, them three spots that we were gonna get to. None of them guys were there no longer than you know 30 minutes. They got to that spot. They they got some bait out. They were gonna see if that get some uh, you know a morning bite, and then they were out of there. There we go. 
you know, three of the spots, we could see we could see all three spots from where we ended up fishing at. And we ended up going and fishing those spots after they left. But that, that's exactly what they were doing. They, they got there. They got set up. They tried to get some fish in the boat. And, and then I guess after they didn't get no bite or if they caught fish or whatever, they after 30 minutes they were gone. Well, you got John says that, yeah, John says he's hearing conflicting information here between us. Uh, he wants to know if we think that sore mouthing is a real issue or not a real issue. Uh, now with the commercial fishing and stuff, I think it is, it is a real issue. Uh, 20, 22 years ago. No, because there was a lot, a whole lot more fish in the water than what we're seeing now. That's my personal opinion. Uh, if 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 I'm going to uh, fish the same spots that I'm sore lipping the fish, yes, it's going to be a big deal. Um, if I if I go up river and and I confirm some spots and and I mark fish and then I go down river. And I go fish and have fun. I'm not fishing the direction that I'm planning on fishing during the tournament. So I don't think I'm hurting anything if I do it that way. Well, I, I think that fish will still bite after they're hooked. If you don't fight them too long, I think, personally, I think that if you put a 50 or 60 on and you fight that thing for 15 or 20 minutes and get it in the boat the day before a tournament, I think you've wore him down enough that he's probably not interested in anything to eat. It probably take him the biggest part of 24 hours to recoup himself. It's not that he won't bite. If you get it right in front of his face, he may take it. But the chances are that fish may or may not uh, swim any uh, length of distance to get that bait where one that hasn't been uh, handled for 30 minutes on a hook, he'll probably just go up there and grab it and go on. But now, uh, a lot of times those fish won't just be one single fish in an area. There'll be several of them, and if one of them fights, it's a good chance that the rest of them will take a bait uh, at some point, and hopefully it'd be the day of the tournament. That's that's the way I feel about it. But I know for a fact, if you put them in your live well, they will eat your bait. They yeah, will and, do that. And, you know, it depends on the type, time of the year, too. You know, I think in the wintertime, sore lipping is, is going to be worse uh, because – they seem to be more territorial, hanging around the same structure, you know, multiple fish of the same size. Uh, you know, but like this time of the year, pre-spawn, post-spawn, when, when the fish are, you know, doing some major traveling, um, you know, that, that fish you caught yesterday when you let him back to go, he, he was still, he was going on his way. You know, you caught him uh, midstream. He wasn't, you know, he didn't make that his home. I think, you know, you caught him. Um, you know, why he was, you know, doing his migration or whatever. Um, you know, so that, yeah, it seems like this time of year, I, I would, I would actually fish the day before a tournament this type of year and not worry about sore mouth and anything. I would think that a, a lake or something wouldn't affect them as bad as, say, the Missouri, the Mississippi River or some area that has extreme current. Uh, I think that, that fighting a fish in a current, as much as it wears me out getting one in the boat, yeah. just think what it's doing to a fish that never has to expend that much energy at one period of time. So it has to affect them to some point, don't you think? 
Yeah, it's like me climbing a hill. I'm only going to go up once because I'm not going to back up a hill a second time. Well, what That's about right. on the Missouri, the Mississippi, when you have one wrapped? If you get like a 30 or 40 pounder wrapped, it's almost impossible to get him up. up yeah. Running, isn't it? yeah. It's hard. It really is. They'll, they'll fight you every them. step away. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times. A lot of times when they're wrapped and they they've made several rolls and got that line up in them, a lot of times we'll just pull anchor and go to them. I I believe that it is, uh, it's faster and easier to get them in that way because most of the time you're not going to unwrap them. Do you get that fish in the boat? It's been my experience. Right. Yeah, especially if they're tied up real bad. Right. Exactly. And I and I don't like to get a line wrapped around a fish because. Generally, it, it you know the ones I've had wrapped, they're never wrapped around the tail. They're always wrapped around the gills. You know, right. It, it, they, it just seems like they find that area, that line finds that area. That, that's exactly right. That, that's 100% correct. Uh, and, and, you know, they're not used to being squeezed or anything like that. I mean, like I say, once they're caught, most of those fish have never expended that much energy at any one time their whole life. If it was, yeah. it's probably years earlier when they was tons smaller. So uh, it, it's, it's got to be hard on But That's one of the things that, that I think um, about putting fish in the boat. Put them in your live well. If you have an aeration system going, if you have oxygen, let them rest up before you release them. Uh, I think that is a... a top-notch thing to do to especially a, a big fish. Now if it's 10, 15, 20 pounds, uh, take your pitcher, set him in the live well for a few minutes. If he seems to be doing all right, go ahead and drop him over the side, uh, run him back and forth in the water. He is probably going to be fine. Uh, but if you get a 60 or 70 pound fish, uh, I like to put them in that live well and put oxygen on them or put aeration system to them and let them rest up. It's not going to hurt them to pull them out of that live well after they've rested a few minutes. And you can hold them in there, and, and they'll let you know when they're ready to go. You don't have to wonder, well, is he ready to go? When they bite down on your hand, they want to turn loose. Uh, and and it's, it's a simple process to do it once you do it. And I got to, you know, I know people don't don't believe a lot of things that, that some of us talk about, but for me, there is not much more rewarding in the fishing end of my life than having a big fish and setting it back down the water and, and letting it swim out of my hand. That That's about as good as it gets. Uh, you know, it, it's just pretty awesome. Yeah. I did have... Go ahead. At what point of the fight do you think a fish usually gets wrapped? Do you think it happens right off the bat, um, uh, you know, after, you know, 30 seconds or so? Um, mo most of the ones that get wrapped on me, uh, seems like it, it's something had to do with the pectoral fin. You know, it's usually right back here. It's like he dove or something, and uh, when I went to pull, the line got him, uh, and then maybe he spun, but it's always up under the pectoral fin wrap, you know, um, you think it's usually just right off the bat when they get wrapped? Um, I, no, I don't think it's right off the bat because generally, you know, as soon as they hit a bait, they turn and run. Right. So, so immediately either the line is either on their side or it's generally it's over top of their head. And then they, you know, they make that one burn and run 
and then they'll turn and then they'll go one way or they'll go the other way. They're like a bull. Mm. You know, they, they, they go to the left or they go to the right. And if that isn't around, if that isn't enough to shake the hook, then they just start rolling and doing all kinds of stupid things. Anything to get Anything it out of Anything to get rid of out of it, yeah. yeah it's like you they know. come up for the bait and then dive. Um, yeah. You know, most time when you're fishing vertical, that's, it seems like that's why they have their eyes on top of their head because they're feeding up more than down. Right. And, uh, and when they hit that bait and they dive back down, I think that's about the time that, you know, that, that line's able to get right there by that, uh, you know, pectoral fin. And then anything they do from there, as straight out as those pectoral fins get, I mean, you can almost pick a fish up with them. You know, they just, it's like a handle. Um, you know, and that, it just seems like every time that darn pectoral fin wraps them and, uh, you know, scarls them up. Um, I was just well, going to see what y'all thought about that. I would almost bet that any time you, if you allow them to have any slack line, they're going to wrap. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'd yeah. almost bet on that. Or if you don't Chuck, have enough uh, rod. Right, exactly. John would like to know uh, about same size. Do the big boys hang out where you're catching the little ones, or do you think they hang together? I don't think them little ones are going to be anywhere near the anything that's big. They're going to, you know, they're going to stay close to crevices and structure where they can, you know, get away from them really quick. Um, you know, in the winter time especially. I believe, you know, the the 30s and the 30s and 40s you know, in the 50s and 60s and the 70s and 80s, they pretty much seem like they hang out in the same areas. But, you know, that if I'm off trophy hunting and I start getting some pecs and I pull my bait in and, and I just got rib cage hanging out, you know, I'm out of there. The, they're, I've never usually caught a big fish. Um, that's during the wintertime. You know, during the, you know, during the summer, I've actually, you know, sat there and waited out you know some some small bites it just seemed like that uh, you know when they quit biting you know a big one has moved in and they then they get the hell out of dodge and then the big one comes in it's like they may circle for a minute you know and and you know say hey I'm in the area this is my food then he'll finally eat but um you know that's when you really gotta have patience if you're gonna have that scenario yeah yeah I don't like hanging around them alpha males I mean, you know, they just those little guys. They're constantly looking over their shoulders because they're they're bait to the big ones. Yeah, you know, they'll eat each blue, other. I mean, big blue big, flathead. He don't care nope. if it fits in his mouth. He's gonna eat it. Yep, yep. I agree. I agree. They're cannibalistic I, big time. They they um. Uh, I think the little guys will hang together because they're all the same size and they don't worry about the other and taking advantage of one. Uh, I think the big boys hang together because they, you know, they know that they're uh, nobody's going to mess with them. So if they're with a, a fish similar size, then the two of them, they, they don't have to worry about anything in that water. Yeah, yeah and everybody's I, you know, getting out of dodge there. That's right. Yeah, and I, I think they, uh, you know, when they hang out like that, they really help each other feed too. You know, they they have strategies where they, you know attack bait fish they'll have one that comes in and drives them down into the other ones or 
you know, whatever they're going to do. But they, you know, they have a plan when they're hanging out together. They're doing it for a reason. They're not stingy. They're doing it to help each other out. I, you know, they, they can't, they don't communicate like you and I do, but I still believe that they know what each other's doing. And they're sitting below that uh, bait ball, and there's two or three of them there. They know that they're going to go up there and snatch them a snack every once in a while. And if they're like Channel Cat are notorious in our area for laying behind riffles and small rivers and creeks, and they know they can go up there and grab a crawdad or something. You know, they just go up there and grab a piece of bait or or whatever it is they're eating out of that riffle. And you could sit there with with bait uh, and cast below that that riffle. And you can catch some channel cat just one right after the other most of the time. And, and they're hanging together. And I think that they somehow they know what, what's going on. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that ought to pretty much cover what our uh, attempt to do with was. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed that. Chuck, what do you have for closing statements tonight? I want to know where uh, Doc got that good-looking hat he's got on. Whisker <laughs> wear. That's a good-looking hat right there. You're looking good in that new shirt and stuff. Thanks, Rob, for getting this to Thank us. you, Rob. Uh, but, well, we got a, a, a little Alabama Catfish Trail tournament uh, out of Beeswax. We're going to have a night tournament this Saturday night. Uh, it's... I don't think the turnout's going to be great because, you know, it's Father's Day Sunday, so that could be a little bit of conflict going on in there. But, um, you know, we're, we're hopefully going to have a really good turnout. So, you know, everybody go to the uh, Alabama Catfish Trail Facebook page, and, and Daniel's got the the time for the launch and the weigh-in times and all that on there. So, you know, we're looking forward to everybody getting together and having a good time Saturday night. Sounds great. Sounds great. Doc, what what have you got going over your way? I know you've been at a tournament and done really good over the weekend. I'm hoping you have some tournament results and, and yes, uh, Doc's do. tip of the week. All right. Yes, I do. Okay, Ohio Hills. Uh, that's <laughs> Bink and Janet Fox's tournament series. Uh, first was Jeff and Brandon. Uh, they had 78.2 pounds. They also had the big fish of the tournament, which was a flathead. 43-pound flathead. Second was Tom, Ken, Miller, and Gab, uh, 64.8 pounds. Third place was Chris Sauters and my son, Larry Lang, uh, 60.2 pounds. SWOCC tournament, that's Vince Nadosky's tournament series. First place, Tim Mulliver Hill and Grant Wilson with 56.4 pounds. Second, Doc Lang and Daniel Vance, 47.3. We had the big fish, a 22.7-pound uh, blue cat. That was caught by my partner, Daniel Vance. One of the guys said something to him. Uh, said, hey, Daniel, uh, how many times since you started fishing with Doc have you had big fish at a tournament? And we started laughing about it. And he goes, uh, this is my fourth time. Somebody said, uh, yeah, we're starting to see a pattern here. <laughs> and, uh, when, when, when Lynn was fishing with me, she was always getting a big fish. So uh, now Daniel's starting to do it. So, But uh, I, I'm happy for him. He's still trying to find that flathead that he's been 
He, he's catching blues, but he's not catching the flathead. Doc's still catching the flatheads. You're on the wrong side of the boat. On the wrong side yeah. of the boat. On the wrong side of the boat, right. Third place was Mark uh, Blauvelt and his partner Ryan Lawrence with 40 pounds. Doc's tip for the, the tonight, uh, I'm mainly a monofilament guy. One of the things about monofilament, when it starts getting hot like it is now, It'll really start to stretch. It start to deteriorate, especially into the sun. So, guys, uh, your monofilament—if the line that you still have that you use to put on new—keep it in a box. Keep it in a cool, dry place. That way, it doesn't break down. Your poles—you uh, know—don't let them. You know, they're going to be out in the sunlight and stuff like that. But uh, the sunlight definitely breaks down that monofilament, and along with that heat, it'll make it stretch. I don't have a lot of experience with braid, but for my most of my fishing career, I have used nothing but monofilament. I'm still using monofilament. I only have one pole that's got braid on it, and that's my back bouncing rod. So that's my tip for the night. Keep that uh, monofilament in a cool, dry place out of the sunlight. Good advice. Good, Good advice. Deal. I uh, I would uh, say one thing about about the braid dock is I've got some braid that's probably five years old now. Uh, I have switched it up and reeled it backwards on another reel, uh, but the whole thing started out as a bright yellow and it's white snow white. Uh, it's been on there so long. And I've yet to break it catching a fish. I uh, take a little off of the end of it once in a while where it frays a little bit. You know how any any fishing line that's against rocks or structure, they're going to get some fray spots. Yeah. Take off five or six feet, cut it off, retie a new swivel leader or whatever kind of uh, rig we're using on it. But uh, I know that stuff's four or five years old, and, and I've yet to break it uh any way, shape, or form. So uh, I believe that it will stick with you, but it does... The, it does bleach out. The color will leave, and it doesn't matter. I've got some green that's really, really pale green now and some red that's the same way. It's kind of a pink uh, from being on so long. But uh, if you're worried about your braided line, as expensive as it is, you can just reel it backwards onto another reel, and the bottom end of that's basically brand new. So uh, that's a good, yeah, it's a good way to save some money on braid line. Uh, I think that, that a lot of people do that. A lot of people probably don't know that there is. We don't have too much going on in our area right this particular time. I know that Brad Kilpatrick had a tournament uh, over the weekend. I never did see results on that. And guys, if you all uh, want us to talk about upcoming events, if you want us to talk about uh, tournament results in your area, you must get them to us. I can't. There's so many tournaments and so much stuff going on with catfishing anymore that I can't, or Doc, or Chuck, and none of us have the time to go through it and, and do all that. But we'll be glad to, to help you out if you let us know. Uh, one of the things, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that July 9th, Warsaw, Illinois will be a channel cat tournament for Twisted Cat Outdoors. Get a hold of Alex Nagy. He will hook you up with the information for that. It's a $100 entry fee. It'll be a great time. There's some really good channel cat up there. And, and the other thing that I would like to talk about tonight is um, 
the 2017 Catfish Conference. I visited with Steve the other day, and, and I know he's working really hard to get this deal put together. We, we are. Uh, he told me that we would have a, a booth set up in the media area for to, we're going to be doing live shows, uh, just like we did at the last one. Now it's going to be a two-day event. It's going to be in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, if I don't have all the specifics, and, and as I get them, or as Chuck or Doc hears something, we'll pass this along. We want to make sure that it is uh, uh, accurate information, and, and what I tell you is coming straight from the man himself, and, and this is going to be a big deal event, uh, just like it was last year, except it's going to be a lot bigger. There'll be more people there. There'll be more vendors there. There'll be more everything. And, uh, and we'll do shows out of there. We're going to have a great time down there. If you get a chance, uh, go to, to the 2017 Catfish Conference web page or site or Facebook uh, and check them guys out and try to make your arrangements to be at this. You will not be disappointed. It was excellent last year. And uh, as far as I know, everybody had a great time down there. Yeah. I can tell you this much. I do know of two people. One of them is Doc Lang. I am going to be doing a sonar seminar, and I do know that James, my buddy James Patterson, is going to talk about rods and reels and how to, you know, where to fish, what type of rod, what type of reel to fish in certain conditions. So I do know that Steve asked me to do a seminar, and I I accepted his his offer. So. That's outstanding. I know Steve had told me about you and James, and that's, uh, you know, I know you've been doing the, the seminars on electronics for a long time, so that'll be something that everybody will want to see. And who in the world would not want to go listen to, to, to the big cat, James Patterson? Yeah. You know, he is... He is an icon in our sport. Uh, been doing it for a hundred years. Uh, guides people all the time, and, and just a real prince of a man. So uh, everybody will want to see James, and and uh, I'm looking forward to that. Well, Chuck, you know, you and I talked about this last year. We're gonna have to figure out how we can take turns or or shut things down for a few <laughs> minutes to go see some of this stuff. But we didn't get to see none of it until it was posted later on YouTube. No, it's all worth it, though. I mean, we got a job to do ourselves. So we do our job, they do our, and we just, we're just the last one to get to see them. So. That's um, right. Well, well, we'll make Doc videotape his or have Lynn do it for us so we can take it home and watch it. We don't have to wait till it gets posted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's going to be a great time. And don't forget, everybody, um, Mississippi River Monster Tournament's coming up. If you're not entered in that, be sure to get in there. Contact Aaron Wheatley for the Monsters on the Ohio. If you guys want to fish some some big events, these are the big ones in the in in, in our sport. So uh, make sure you get in on them. Uh, with that, as far as I know, that's going to do it for tonight. I want to thank everybody for watching the show and for Chuck Davis and Doc Lang. I'm Lyle Stokes. See you next week on Catfish Weekly.